We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm not sure what number the episode we're on here, but I do know as you are listening to this show, it is my wedding day. We are recording on wedding eve but I am here to talk Packers with you briefly because, honestly, where the hell else would I rather be at a time such as this? I am your new host here, Jacob Westendorf, and joined with me is my new partner uh, who's always had this slot, so I guess I'm his new partner, Zach Jacobson. Zach, how's it feeling? I'm feeling good, but I can't, I can't be feeling as good as you, man. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank it's you. I appreciate day. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, still funny time to record. Yeah, it's a big day, and I am also a fan of the Michigan Wolverines who are currently laying a beatdown on the Wisconsin Badgers, so I am feeling very good right about now. The Green Bay Packers, uh, not so much. Uh, they lost last week in Detroit. Ugly, ugly game. Uh, down 24-0, another big deficit. And you also have Mason Crosby's day. Aaron Rodgers didn't play that well. It was just kind of, I mean, all three phases, Zach, you could say, to kind of wrap this up real quick, though, all three phases failed against the Lions. Is that right? I would definitely say so. Even even despite the passing game getting going in the second half and, you know, Rodgers throwing for 442, it kind of goes back to what he was saying after they lost to the Bills. They put up 423 yards in total offense. But that 22-0 score just doesn't reflect that. So that kind of – their whole performance against the Lions really reflected his comments. And it was the second straight week of the same thing. Yeah, if you want a, like a proof of the yardage as an empty statistic, that's it. Because it never really felt like the Packers were threatening during that course of the game. The yardage they got were garbage yards, empty yards. Like if, 
If this was the other way around, if Green Bay had won this game 31 to 23, for example, but we're up 24 to nothing, we'd be sitting here talking about how, oh, it's garbage yards, garbage points. You know, there's there was the game was never in doubt. I feel like the Lions probably felt that way that the game was never in doubt, um, and that's unfortunate because the Packers now have dropped to two two and one. They could very easily be four and one. They could also very easily be one and four. So. I think at this stage of the season, we really have no idea what this Packers team is. They keep saying they're close, uh, but quite frankly, I think I need to see that on the field uh, before I start to believe it. And one other thing that came out this week, Zach, was it's going to be a quote that gets a lot of play uh, from Mike McCarthy. It has gotten a lot of play. They were asking him why you know, Aaron Jones isn't playing more than Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery. Common theme these days, uh, I think that everybody who's paying attention knows Aaron Jones, or it feels like they know at least that Aaron Jones is the best running back on this team. And McCarthy basically said, there's more to running back, playing running back, than running the ball. Um, and I understand that to a point. But, Zach, do you really think that Mike McCarthy is going to die on the Jamal Williams as a better pass blocker hill? I mean, it sure sounds like it up to this point. I mean, Aaron Jones, he's averaged eight carries a game. You know, so, I, I don't know. I get he's trying to stick by the whole, like, committee approach that he preached all offseason. And, you know, the truth is, they do have three talented running backs. You want to get Jamal Williams involved. You want to get Tom Buckingham involved. You especially want to get Aaron Jones involved. But I just don't understand Mike McCarthy's approach. You can't use the whole pass-blocking mantra and, and stand by that. Because, I mean, against the Lions, they only pressure twice, you know, in, in that game. And Aaron Jones... According to Pro Football Focus and our podcast godfather, Andy Herman, actually tweeted this out. He has the highest pass blocking grade of any of the Packers running backs this season. Higher than Williams, who is apparently the best run block pass protector uh, of the three running backs. Which I'm not going to argue against because he more than likely is. But, I mean, when you're trying to climb back into a game, you're down 24-0. to zero, You want to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. Yep. Do you not? And Aaron Jones is one of those playmakers. Get him the ball however we have to do it, you know, whether it's in the passing game. Because the, the Packers, they, you know, in the second half, they threw five passes to both Williams and Montgomery in that second half as they were trying to claw their way back into the game. So it's just inexcusable that Jones has continued to be kind of, you know, left, left out of the backfield, you know, when he's obviously their most explosive back, their most talented runner. Yeah, Zach, you tweeted something this week, and I agree on it. It was, uh, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but basically don't take a dump on Jamal Williams just because we know that Aaron Jones is a better player. Uh, Jamal oh, Williams yeah. certainly has a role. I don't think that anybody's going to argue that. The problem is, you mentioned it, you need to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. And I've always said that I think Jamal Williams, if he's your starting running back, that's okay when you have an offense that has – Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Donald Driver, Greg Jennings. If he was the starting running back on the 2011 Packers offense, for example, you probably wouldn't even worry about it so much. But the Packers don't have that level of playmakers. They have a, a, well, a less amount than they had in 2011, obviously. That offense may never be replicated again. Ty Montgomery and Aaron Jones are both better playmakers with the, balls in their, the ball in their hands. Those are the guys that need to be getting the play. Jamal Williams, he's a short yardage back. He's going to get you three yards in a cloud of dust, and he'll pick up a blitz. That's great, uh, but those things should not supersede the playmaking ability that Ty Montgomery and Aaron Jones have. So 
that's kind of where we're at. I think the running back situation has kind of been beaten to death at this point. Um, you know, it's just uh, everybody's talked about it. I think every Packers fan is pretty much on the same page that Jones needs to play more. We'll see if he does against the San Francisco 49ers on Monday night because that's the reality. I mean, the problem that I think we run into, I think it was Corey Banky said this. He feels like McCarthy is insulting his intelligence by not putting his best players on the field. And I, I mean, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it's true. Like McCarthy stands at this podium every week and is trying to tell us we're doing the best things to win. And I, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm smarter than Mike McCarthy, but at the same time, my eyes tell me the story of it. I mean, this isn't a scouting term by any stretch, but when Jones has the ball in his hands, it just looks different. Whatever the hell that means. And it's a different in a good way. He's up to full speed. He hits the hole, runs that Jamal Williams has for like nine yards. Jones breaks for 29 yards. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. But I don't want to beat that to death because I feel like everyone has. One of the positive developments from last week was the um, the development or the flash from both rookie two rookie receivers that got extended playing time because Cobb and Allison both did not suit up. And that was Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who scored a touchdown, and Equinemius St. Brown had a couple big plays down the field too. Zach, this week it looks like Cobb and Allison could be back in the lineup. But even when they are, don't you think that those rookies, namely Valdez-Scantling, he's made at least a couple plays in the games he's played it. Don't you think those guys have at least earned some form of an opportunity even when Cobb and Allison are back on the field? I sure think so. I mean... The Packers preach all the time to their coaching staff. You make plays, you'll get on the field. You earn those opportunities. So, I mean, Marquez Valdez skin, he earned those opportunities last week. He caught that 38-yarder in the fourth quarter last week that Rob's up for. Um, you know, he's made the most of the opportunities that he's, he's had. He's been on the field. And, you know, that's coming from a guy, me, who I expect Jamon Moore to stand out amongst that, that those three rookie receivers. So he's been a huge disappointment to me so far, but... As far as MVS goes, you know, you, you got to get this guy involved somewhere, somewhere or another. I mean, you know, Jerome Allison will likely play. Randall Cobb will likely play. They're both battling hands from injuries. Allison's out of the concussion protocol. Aaron Rodgers gets two trusted targets back. So, on one hand, you don't have to really worry about rookie receivers making rookie mistakes on the field because, you know, they're not going to play as good as they did against the Lions last week every single week throughout the season. You know, these guys, they're still rookies. They're still going to struggle. They're still going to have a few bumps in the road. But, you know, the, it, last week was really a confidence vote for them. And it was a, like a monumental stepping stone, which uh, is what I tweeted. A monumental stepping stone in gaining Aaron Rodgers' trust. And that's huge. And I referenced this with you before the show started. Um, that last completion Rodgers hit to Equinemius St. Brown, where he turned, turned and just took it up the left sideline, split through the seam, that was huge for his confidence going forward. It was virtually meaningless. You know, they're down by 11 at that point. Um, you know, th- there's nothing that's going to come of it. But it was huge for a rookie receiver. And little things like that, you get the ball in their hands, you get them going. On a week-to-week basis, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And having guys like... You mentioned it pretty well, I think, there. Uh, Valdez, Scantling, and Brown, are they going to play that way every single week? No. They're not top 100 picks for a reason. Uh, Valdez, Scantling, and St. Brown are both very raw. St. Brown has actually been a healthy scratch more often than he's been active. And Valdez, Scantling has basically been active because he's been on special teams. But he's so damn fast. 
that you would think you can find a role for those guys to whether it's spelling Cobb. You know, if you rotate series or something like that with Cobb as the slot guy with St. Brown, that's somewhere where Brown can be effective. And Valdez Scantling as the deep threat shot play guy or running those crossing routes because, like I said, he's really, really fast. He makes fast people look not fast. That's a positive thing in this offense specifically that doesn't really have a whole lot of deep speed. That might be the guy there. I think that Cobb and Allison coming back, they should definitely retain their starting roles. I don't think that anything crazy like that should be – they shouldn't be benched or anything like that. But giving those guys opportunities – can't be a bad thing. Uh, if nothing else, give your older guys, if you will, that's probably not the right term, but give your more experienced guys a spell. Get the young guys ready for it. Because here was the other thing about Sunday that was a little disappointing, was Cobb and Allison are both out. So it's Devontae Adams and two guys that don't play a whole lot. The Packers did almost nothing to get those guys ready for that situation. Practice reps, great, whatever. But you can't simulate live game speed. And there had to be some time when you're blowing Buffalo off the field, like those guys need to be on the field. Or, I mean, Washington would have been an opportunity, I suppose, to get those guys on the field. But they they have to have those guys ready. They used to be ready. They haven't done that anymore. McCarthy's not as good as he used to be, at least in my opinion, as far as varying his formations and personnel groupings. But it's exciting development for those guys to be on the field. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can make a play Monday night uh, against San Francisco, against a really, really beat-up 49ers team. This should be, if the Packers are going to get right uh, before the bye, this is definitely their opportunity to do so because this 49ers team is not very good. Um, oh, and, yeah. the, and the talented players that they have, I mean, Zach, you live out there, so I'm sure that you've heard from plenty of Niners fans. The players that they do have, it seems like, are hurt. So that uh, that's where we're at with the receivers and such. One question I did have, Zach, is because we've talked about the pass-catching group. And a story came out this week about how Jimmy Graham's not the athlete he used to be, and they're wondering if he's washed. I don't know, and forgive me because I don't, but I, I believe you do at least some of the film work, the All-22 stuff. I know that usually that's Andy Herman and Ross Uglum and guys like that. But what have you seen in your film study as to, is Jimmy Graham still a capable player? Absolutely, and we, we saw a few instances against the Lions, you know, and scarcely throughout the weeks. Like, he hasn't been bad. He's been putting up numbers, and he's, you know, been getting open. There's been plays where Rodgers has put it up for Graham. That, 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 that happened against the Lions, actually. Uh, I can't remember exactly what part of the game. I did uh, watch the film cut-ups of it, um, but Rodgers put it up for Graham, split right down the scene. He was coming down to the slot, and... and Graham just went up and grabbed it. I mean, you have a six, seven, pretty much a slot receiver, you know, in your arsenal. you got to put him to the best use. And I think, you know, so far the Packers are trying to do that. They mostly got Graham involved after halftime and, you know, more so in the second half. But um, he also missed that back shoulder touchdown that Rodgers tried to connect in the left corner of the, the end zone. Yes. So there's obviously that, that – you know, little mechanical issues like that, they're still trying to get worked out. And, I mean, if you remember, you know, Jared Cook, it took him a little while to get going with the Packers. I know he battled that, I think it was a foot or an ankle injury. Uh, he suffered against the Lions in week three, and then when he did come back, he wasn't very effective. Before that, he wasn't really effective for the first two games of the season. But it just takes a little while for Ken Rodgers to mesh with a, a new guy like this. So I think as the season goes along, you're going to see more of Jimmy Graham. You're going to see more of those back shoulder touchdown attempts, and you're going to see them successful. Um, I just want to know why Mr. Lewis isn't involved more. I mean, I know he's whipped on a couple of blocks, but 
That's the real question to me. Yeah, that's a fair question too, and I, I can get into that after. I mean, Jimmy Graham, I think everybody just expected this dude to come in and he was going to be the guy that he was in New Orleans. And that's just not the case. I mean, he was never going to be that guy. Yeah. Um, no. But if you can get him, like, if you go back and watch the Vikings game, they are one play away there. There's a pass interference penalty that was not called, and I'm still not sure how. Uh, and I believe it was Ben Gideon up the seam. That would have given Graham an extra 40 yards or something like that if he's able to make that catch. And they took a touchdown off the board with a bogus holding penalty. So that day you're looking at Jimmy Graham over 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. That's a big game for him. Uh, I think yeah. that this is another one where he's close. Something that may not mesh well with Rodgers specifically on Graham is Rodgers is a throw it to you if you're open as opposed to throw it and let your guy make a play kind of thing. And Graham is pretty good at making contested catches. And that's something that Rod, he did a little bit. Maybe it was a sign last week. He trusted Graham to make a contested catch last week. Maybe that's something they can look into. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, I don't understand the fascination with Lance Kendricks. I'm not saying Mercedes Lewis is a world beater, uh, and I'm not saying he's played well in his limited playing time because it's clear he has not. But Lance Kendricks, he looks like he fights the football as it comes into his hands. Mercedes Lewis can do those things, I think, personally at least. Um, I, thought, I thought Mercedes Lewis was like quietly the best, one of the best signings of the Packers offseason. I thought so too, yeah, absolutely. He would have fit in perfectly with the run game. I think that, I mean, the Packers, for some reason this year, are not putting some of their players in position. And I get it. You don't want to have tendencies. You don't want to be quote-unquote predictable. But at the same time, I think coaches outsmart themselves all the time. So players are on the field like Mercedes Lewis, and they have a tendency of run blocking. Okay, but asking Jimmy Graham to do that run blocking is asking him to fail. So that's what's happened so far this year. And uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. It may not for a while. Uh, Something else that, this is a bad segue, but doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, The life of Jim Taylor. Um, Underdog type player, hard-nosed, one of the uh, pillars of that Vince Lombardi dynasty in the early 60s. Passed away today at the age of 83. Uh, Zach, obviously, we're both younger guys, so we didn't watch Jim Taylor play. But I can tell you, I got to meet him on a couple different occasions when I was up in Green Bay. Very nice gentleman, uh, willing to stand and talk. He revered Vince Lombardi, which was – it's always cool to listen to Lombardi's old players talk about him. They definitely respected him a great deal, which is something that – I'm not going to say it's rare these days, but, I mean – you know, somebody questioning their head coach is definitely more common now than it was then. And the way that Lombardi's players talk about him, Jim Taylor was the pillar. Uh, a lot of people, you know, Paul Horning was like lightning, and Jim Taylor was thunder. Uh, a lot of fun highlights from those those 60s days. Like I said, I, I'm not old enough to give you enough of a synopsis on the guy. But, um, Zach, do you have any thoughts on, on Jim Taylor? Well, he... You know, it's, it's always it's always terrible when you lose a member of Vince Lombardi's Packers. You know, just you know, a member of those teams throughout the '60s that you know really really paved the way to some of the concepts used in the NFL today, and some of the some of the uh, some of the styles, coaching styles, playing styles that really all stem from those teams and you know the iconic players that that that, that decked out those rosters. So, I mean, Taylor, he was. A, 
three-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro. He's a pro football Hall of Famer. That's, you know, it, it's an impressive resume. And on top of rushing for over a thousand yards for five consecutive seasons, he, you know, he, he, he never, he, he just, he really defined like toughness, you know, and grit. And that's how Mark Murphy described him. He described him as a gritty football player. And I think a lot of those guys on those teams in that in that decade. Um, really embodied that, you know, specifically specifically members of Lombardi squads, you know, and, and that's that's a big reason why he's a member of that 1960s All Decade team. You know, we we really lost a good one. You know, he'll definitely be missed. Absolutely, uh, definitely a a great player, and at least like I said, from my accounts, a a better person. So that is uh, unfortunate uh, to say the very least. He will be missed. Uh, Zach, you know, yeah, yeah, that was that was really cool. I've uh, I've been very fortunate from my time living in Green Bay and stuff. So, um, definitely a blessed human I am. Um, I'm not jealous or anything. Yeah, no, it's 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 fine. I won't I won't brag about it too much. Um, okay. <laughs> um, Zach, I, I mean, I know, like you know, this is a this is Sunday. The game's not until Monday. It's a Monday night game, so Monday night's going to go on the show. So we don't want to go too deep into a preview. But what do you think is the most important thing for the Packers? This is their last game before their bye week and a tough stretch really after that. But what do you think is the most important thing for Green Bay when they take on the 49ers on Monday night? I think undoubtedly the number one thing that they need to do is start fast. Yeah, absolutely. Because they have not yeah. been able to do that really virtually any games this season. I mean, they gotta, they got to come out fast. Don't let the 49ers jump out to an early lead. Don't play from behind to the point where you have to abandon your game plans. You know, everything that you've been, you've been preparing for coming into this game. You know, I know a lot of teams are coming, in, coming with a script. You know, I don't know if the Packers are going to do that. I don't know if they, they have a tendency of doing that. But if they do, then falling behind this 49ers team, that you know, that could be bad. You know, you don't want to... You don't want to put yourself at the risk of losing to a team like this that is as banged up as they are, that is really just not as good as they are. You know, they're, they're, they're a bad football team, and they're really injured right now. So I think if the Packers can't beat the 49ers Monday night under the prime time lights in front of their home crowd, then, or if they even, if they even struggle against them. I get every week is a new week and all that. And, you know, every Sunday, it's, it's, you know, it's a different game, but... If they can't beat this team, then they really have problems. On top of being 2-3-1, they'll have major problems, you know, just, just as an organization, you know, and as a team. So, uh, like I said, uh, you know, this should be a team that the Packers take care of easily. You know, this is a team that the Packers should kind of bully. You know, this should be the team that the Packers take their lunch money from. And if they can't do that, then, like I said, it's going to be could be really bad moving forward. You know, this is a big confidence boost going into the bye week, especially. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know that something I always talk about when it comes to inferior opponents is you don't want to let them hang around and you don't want to let them start fast. What you want is to get going early and get that Lambo crowd behind you. And C.J. Beathard's not a good quarterback. He never has been. Get that defense hyped up to face a inferior quarterback on an inferior offense against an inferior team. I think you hit it on the head. So start fast. I think that's been talked about a ton. So, I mean, I'm going to say that the second most important thing here uh, for the Packers is to just get some rhythm in their passing game. Uh, and I think that those two things could go hand in hand. 
I've talked about this before uh, with Jason Perrone on Pulse of the Pack. I talked about it with you before, Zach, is it's hard. It's hard to tell Aaron Rodgers to not play out of the pocket and not play out of system because that's something that makes him so great. It's a catch-22 because he turns five-yard plays into 50-yard plays by doing that. At the same time, playing out of rhythm bogs down the offense. And you can see, playing within the offense, there's film clips upon film clips upon film clips of open receivers. He's passing up for whether he's not seeing them, not trusting what he's seeing, whatever it is. And I think Rodgers knows that because he talked about it this week. But they have to play within a rhythm. He has to trust Devontae Adams, trust Randall Cobb, trust the other receivers too, not just guys you've played with for a really long time. There are still weapons on this roster. They just have to use them. So I think they got to get a rhythm in their passing game, and uh, that will probably contribute to starting fast. Zach, real quick before we take off here, uh, who do you like Monday night? Well, I just want to add in one more point to the whole, the whole uh, Rogers kind of not staying in the pocket. I think he, he, it looks like he's kind of reverting back to the whole like 2015, early 2016 Aaron Rodgers, where he looks really skittish in the pocket. He doesn't trust his receivers, and he's rolling out when he doesn't have to. And for a guy that's probably going to be playing with reverting back to that bigger knee brace this week, that could be bad. He shouldn't have to roll out of the pocket. He shouldn't have to run more than he has to. Um, and, you know, as far as that goes, I think if the Packers have to adjust, then they'll probably roll with what they did against the Bears in the second half of the season opener, where Dobbs became more of like a quick timing offense. He got the ball out of his hands quick. You know, a lot of two- to three-step drops. You know, things along those lines to protect his knee and just – kind of avoid him being uh, contacted by a defender, but um, I'm taking Green Bay 38-13 this one. This one. Um, I made that prediction a couple nights ago on a podcast and I'm going to stick to it. So hopefully, you know, I'm not wrong. Hopefully I'm lucky with this one. I like it. Um, I think that something that you mentioned is, you know, the way they played against the Bears, I think it's interesting because the best the offense has looked this year is the second half against Chicago. They went right down the field a lot and put a lot of points on the board. That's the best they've looked, the most consistent they've looked. And it was when Rodgers had to play from the pocket, largely from the pocket. So as far as my prediction, I like Green Bay as well. They've already ruined – so last week, for those of you that don't follow along, last week I was in Detroit for my bachelor party, and uh, Mason Crosby and the whole team really just kind of single-handedly ruined that. So I will be there Monday night as well. I refuse to believe that they will – ruin my bachelor party and the day after my wedding. Zach, I don't I'm not as confident as you are. I won't say 38-13. However, I do like Green Bay in this game. I'll say 28 to 20. Uh, and I really think it's going to be a struggle. I just don't trust as weird as it sounds, I just don't trust the offense at this point to do That's the fair. things that it needs to do. Um, I think if they can get some turnovers or something like that, I think that might be the difference, but I really do expect another kind of sloggy performance that we're just kind of coming out afterwards saying, oh, my God, that was like – it's they won, cool, but yuck. Not quite Buffalo bad, maybe a little better than that. Zach, I hope you're right when it comes to this case because that would be a lot of fun. That's going to do it uh, for today. Oh, Zach, it sounds like you wanted to chime in real quick. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. I was just going to say, like, it's, you know, when Aaron Rodgers is confident, I'm confident. That's you fair. Know, <laughs> That's also say, fair. Yeah, as simple as that. I mean, he, he said how close they were in an interview uh, this week. He thought that they were very close to uh, Rick. Now, he said he felt how they felt a couple years ago after the Washington game, right before they sparked the whole 
uh, run the table street yep. in 2016. So, you know, when he's saying things like that, you know, a guy that's really articulate about his words and really kind of tiptoes around what he says and what he doesn't say, I'll, I'll take that with a grain of salt, but I'm, I'm going to... I'm gonna uh, hang my hat on that. Yeah, that's fair. And if you know, if the Packers start ripping off a streak here, where they beat the beat the Niners, beat one of the Rams or the Patriots, and end up finding themselves towards the top of the NFC, this is gonna be the week that we look back to because Mike McCarthy has said some stuff like that as well, and they don't do things like that very often. So that is gonna do it for this edition of Packaday. Follow the show; it's at Packaday Podcast. Zach, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Zach A Jacobson. Uh, once again, Z-A-C-H, not Z-E-C-K, right. there's a lot of misconceptions with that. Uh, and you can find me on Cheesehead TV and on the Packaday Podcast as well. And I will be on Packaday Podcast. You can also find me after games on Pulse of the Pack with Jason Perrone. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Jacob Westendorf. One more time for you Wisconsin Badgers fans, go Michigan. But for everybody, since you guys are listening and we can all agree on this, go Pack, go.